0: I'm going to talk about the research that I've been doing for my DPhil. I spent a year um, based in Mesot, so on the Thai side of the border, um, and looking at talking to women during pregnancy and after they've given birth to try and understand about um, experiences of depression. And so I thought I'd give a bit of context about the background. If, if anything gets too medical at any point, just interrupt and I'll try and not use any jargon. Um, and then I would just speak through about my methods and um, some of the emerging results. So perinatal depression means depression during pregnancy or in the first 12 months after birth and it's not really different from depression at any other stage in life in in terms of the way it's experienced but it's this, this perinatal period is a is a time at which women are at much greater risk of developing depression for a variety of social and hormonal and biological reasons Um, and it's one of the commonest conditions that women can experience during the perinatal period and it's very inequitably distributed so within societies it's usually the most vulnerable communities that are most at risk and on a global level it's also very concentrated in low-income countries and the consequences are very um, wide-reaching if it's not treated so it not only causes suffering for the individual but um, there's more and more evidence now that infants and children of depressed mothers are at risk of a whole host of adverse physical outcomes but also emotional and social um, outcomes. So that's kind of the mental health side of things and then um, in the public health discipline in which I work migrant health and refugee health is kind of emerging as its own little subfield and um, the evidence and the the media attention is very skewed towards migrant and refugee populations coming to high-income destinations, whereas you probably know the vast majority of displacement actually occurs within low and middle-income regions. So there's actually very little research on communities like the displaced Karen and Burmese people in on the Thai-Myanmar Thai border, where people are leaving of low- and middle-income settings and resettling to other low- and middle-income settings. And there's a lot of evidence that migrant and refugee populations suffer from poor physical and mental health outcomes compared to non-migrant, or so native populations. So the Thai-Manmar border, I don't need to go through all the numbers, um, but just to say that the, the, the populations I was working with were predominantly Karen, so about two-thirds of our women in our study were Karen. But there were also Burmese ethnicities, um, you know, majority of Burman and a small group of Muslim um, groups. So it, it's a bit more of a mix, but the, the majority were Karen, Squaw Karen and Po Karen. And I was based at the Shoklo Malaria Research Unit, which is based in Mesot but has um, three antenatal clinics. One is in Mela Camp, um, which is the picture on the right. Uh, and two of the clinics are actually not in a refugee camp, but just in villages in Wangpa and in Mokotai. So they're villages to the north and south mm-hmm. of Mesot. Um, and they're quite a different group. So uh, the, the migrants just live in, in villages. A lot of them commute back and forth across the river um, and come into Thailand either just to access the, the health services or to work in agricultural work for the day. So the objectives of, of the DFIL were to try and understand how common uh, depression is during pregnancy and, and after delivery in this community, because it's not been looked at before, and to try and unpick the risk factors, so who it is that is most at risk within this group, and also to explore potential treatment options. So um, we wanted very much to make this something that um, you know not just try and identify depression better in this community but know what we can do about it in a sustainable way. So we we recruited women in their first trimester of pregnancy and followed them up until they gave birth um, and we conducted interviews. Interestingly we we tried out a lot of different ways of of doing these interviews and looking for assessing for depression and in western context often that takes the form of screening tests with kind of checklists of how often you have different symptoms and we tried about four different types of these questionnaires and none of them worked very well and what we found worked best was this, uh, this structured clinical interview which is kind of a standard tool used in psychiatry um, where you have a set list of questions but open answers so people can just talk and one of the really interesting things was that despite all the taboo around mental illness, we didn't once come across anyone who wasn't willing to speak and it was almost, it almost felt like an indulgence to a lot of people to spend 45 minutes to an hour just talking about how they feel, about their experiences, about difficulties in their lives. So um, it it was just interesting that um, it... It didn't, you know, in, in a in a supportive setting and on a one to one basis, people were actually really happy to speak about quite personal things. Um, yeah, so we did we did these depression interviews and then also collected a lot of information about their social backgrounds, their personal backgrounds, and medical conditions. Um, and we found that um, if you look at the overall, so the the yellow. Three quarters of people were negative, didn't have any symptoms, but about a quarter of women expressed symptoms of depression of some severity, and you can see that the severe category is is mm-hmm. very rare, so that's um, compared to international um, figures, that, that number is actually very, very low. It's just, just the severe slice, but when you add up all the categories, it's actually very common and 25% is is quite significant if you think about how many people are pregnant and giving birth. Um, we wanted also to look at depression over d- during pregnancy to see if there's maybe a, an optimal time to intervene and to, to offer support, whether it's at the beginning of pregnancy or at the end, or maybe just after giving birth. Um, and we found that there wasn't really much of a difference throughout pregnancy. But if you look at the, the last column on the, the right, that just shows the, per- the percentage of women who were ever depressed at any stage throughout pregnancy or the or after delivery. And um, those rates are quite high. So the, the orange bar shows the percentage that were kind of in the higher severity category. Um, that's about 17%. And the interesting thing to me was that there's this large group of people who have mild depression. And in the medical world, mild depression just is not of interest so it doesn't it's not something that's usually treated Um, you wouldn't go you wouldn't be followed up necessarily but I what what I'm trying to understand is given given the how large this group was of people having quite mild symptoms um, we're trying to figure out whether it's just that we didn't capture something so there were a lot of somatic symptoms physical symptoms that were coming out that Uh, maybe don't register on a western scoring system um, that maybe means that actually this big group were more at risk than we realized or um, so we still it's just an interesting finding that we're still trying to disentangle another interesting and unexpected finding was that suicidal ideation was very high so one of the questions we asked as part of the structured interview was whether people ever think about suicide Um, or have have attempted suicide in the past and a quarter of all women answered yes to that question which is very high compared to any other studies that have been done 3% had made past attempts at suicide and when we look at who is having these thoughts about suicide um, this graph shows that as you so this is the negative um, the group that are negative for depression the mild depression, moderate depression, and severe depression. So as the severity of depression increases, the proportion of people who are thinking about suicide increases, which is what you'd expect. But when you flip this around and look at it the other way, and look at just the people who are thinking about suicide, you can see that the majority of them have either no diagnosis of depression or are only mildly depressed. So there's something about suicide in this culture that is in the Karen culture that may be slightly separate from mental health mm. um, or yeah, either that or, or we're maybe not capturing something else about depression um, but the but, but suicide is, is really a big problem and in, in Mela camp um, suicide was the biggest cause of maternal death in the last two years mm-hmm. so half half of all maternal deaths in Mela Camp in the last two years were suicide. So there's something really interesting going on and it's 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 just worth noting that in, in, in Western societies the biggest risk factor for suicide is depression, whereas here it it, it doesn't it may <coughs> not correlate in quite the same way. Um, I won't go into too much detail about the statistical methods, but we looked at, um, we tried to quantify in statistical terms um, what the risk factors for depression were, and the interesting thing that came out here was that a lot of the factors we thought would be important, so things like ethnicity, religious background, um, whether you're a migrant compared to whether you're a refugee, educational level, um, your income, whether you're working or not, all these things didn't matter. What mattered was the slightly broader social context, so things like how much social support you have, uh, traumatic experiences around you, domestic violence at home, um, those kind of slightly broader issues as opposed to the individual level issues. Um, And this is interesting um, on the one hand because it it kind of contradicts what a lot of the literature has said from other settings, but also because these are potentially things that you can do something about, so you can, there are there ways in which you could offer support and, um, you know, try and prevent domestic violence in, in a way that you couldn't do about the individual level factors. Um, and these findings were supported by the qualitative analyses, so some of the social themes that are emerging from the, the interviews, um, from the qualitative analyses, are issues like poverty, so these, these are just very, um, these are real quotes, but they're very representative of, um, of what was said by, by many of the women. Every day, my children ask me to buy them a suite, but I cannot because I have no money. I cannot buy shoes for them. It makes me feel sad and pity. The domestic violence was very common and very often related to alcohol use. Um, so when I fight with my husband, I feel sad for a whole day. He hits me a lot even without drinking alcohol he hits me and there were many cases of really extreme domestic violence so you know serious trauma resulting from violence at home the family fragmentation was also a big theme so families being um, you know family members being left in Myanmar and parts of the family um, coming across to Thailand So sometimes I cry when I think about my daughter in Burma, but I cannot cry. I lock it up inside and get chest pain. So again, this is bringing up the idea that a lot of the symptoms are kind of manifested as more physical as opposed to emotional symptoms. And my husband is in Bangkok. I cannot contact him since two months. He doesn't pick up his phone. Every night I cry for him. And then hopelessness and uncertainty came across a lot, and this was particularly in the context of the the camp closing, um, and just not very much information about, first of all, whether the camp is definitely closing or not, and if it is then when, and what the plans are for resettlement. So a lot of rumours going around, but it felt like no no real facts. Um, and in terms of aspirations, a lot of what came out was um, that the worries were actually about, not so much about the, the mothers themselves, but about their children and the next generation. So, I worry about my children and their future, I feel so sad I can't breathe. And then a lot of people wanting to go to third countries, um, but not having the the right UN card from the UNHCR, um, and then just not knowing what what the alternatives are. And then suicide, as I've already mentioned, so not wanting to stay in this world and um, wanting to close my eyes forever, feel weak and have no more strength, and not having the energy to even open my eyes. And it felt very much like a lot of the time, suicide was just seen as a way out of a very difficult situation, just a, a solution to end the suffering. So, in conclusion, about a, a quarter of women in this setting of the of the pregnant and postpartum women experience depression, um, and we're still trying to understand why we see this pattern of. of of the severe category being very, very narrow, and then this when you add up all the categories together that it's very common and whether there's some kind of a categorization issue. Um, and suicidal thoughts are very common even in the absence of depression, and that these risk factors seem to be related to the, to the broader social context. Um, and one thing I haven't really touched upon is that we also um at the end of the study we did focus groups talking about talking to women with depression about what they would find helpful and a lot of the solutions they came up with um, or a lot of a lot of one suggestion that came out from a lot of different people was um, having peer support groups and um it was just it was striking that it what they were seeking was not necessarily some expert or some mental health physician or doctor or nurse to to lead them, but what they wanted was support from within the community, so to meet with other people feeling the same thing or in similar circumstances and um, to form friendships and and support groups kind of from from on the ground root level. So yeah, just to acknowledge my supervisors and the study team and... Especially the women, um, and as I say, we were really um, amazed and um, at how willing people were to talk to us, <laughs> and um, yeah, just grateful to get an insight into these issues. <laughs> <laughs>